Hey everyone, welcome back to the Leadership Blocker. I am thrilled to have my friend and mentor, Marion Abrams on. She co-founded the Spartan Up podcast and she also has the Grounded Content podcast. She's all up and down the video filming and podcast world. And she's just someone I, I really respect, someone with decades and decades in the industry who is absolutely selfless and altruistic and just has helped me. Uh, now, if you're new to the show, uh, this show is really about helping business owners and entrepreneurs, you know, get some of the best possible knowledge from industry experts and influencers, and this is no exception. So if you wanna talk about you know, the challenges of getting on social media in terms of audio or visual, uh, in terms of how you're gonna make video posts or just considerations for video posts, and more importantly, some of the feedback that you should be soliciting, not only from outsiders, but from yourself, in terms of how it should roll, then this podcast is going to be one that you're going to listen to from beginning to end to include tales of meeting and going to Richard Branson's island, Necker Island. So let's get right into the show. Here we go. All right, everyone, welcome back. You don't know this, but this is intro number two because Marion's like, you just introduced during the countdown because I'm using Riverside. This is completely new, but um, she looks great. She already sounds great when we kind of tested it out for five minutes after I was unfucking my lighting and stuff. But uh, we're going to get into it. Marion is going to introduce herself and I'm going to tell you everything I think about her before we get into all the goodies. So uh, Marion, please tell us a little bit about you. First of all, I just want to say, I, I love this. And I want you to know the last episode of my own podcast, which I published, I um, I interviewed these these two ladies who have a podcast called The Brandsmiths. And they do like working sessions during their podcast. And they turned it around and started like giving me feedback on my brand during the podcast. But I stumbled a bunch of times on the open and I had to leave that in the final published version because they talked about that and how it related to my brand. So you're in good company. We all do it. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's weird. I don't, I'm not like a huge fan of having a static intro uh, anyway. I kind of like, if I do a solo episode before this one is published and I'll be like, you know, my intro is going to be different, but my outro sh certainly should be different. Like, join me Thursday because I'm going to have, you know, the producer of the Spartan Up podcast on and she's, you know, like, it's just, it's just feels better. But anyway, I kind of gave away a little bit about what you do. So actually go ahead and tell us what do yeah, you got yeah. going on? Yeah. So that's probably in, in the podcasting world. The biggest thing is I created the Spartan Up podcast with the founder and CEO of Spartan. We started it kind of on a whim, I think seven or eight years ago. And I have been behind the scenes producing the show ever since. And we have, you know, something like 600 episodes. We've had probably 20 different hosts in addition to Joe, who's the founder and CEO. Just growing that network has been really fun. This year during the pandemic, I started my own podcast, finally came out from kind of behind the scenes, which has been an exciting journey. And that might be an interesting place to go in, in today because I know your listeners, a lot of them are dealing with that. Um, so I started my own podcast, which is called Grounded Content. And the idea is uh, really just exploring the kind of innate paradoxes of marketing and messaging, this idea that there's really a fine line between persuasion and manipulation. And the answers are not simple, but I think it's an important part of the discussion. And so it's been really fun. I'm still figuring out exactly where that goes. And then just to extend that intro out a little bit more. I work with a few high-level clients, just helping them think big picture about 
what they want to talk about, what makes them unique, and uh, being a better host and interviewer in their own podcasts. Yeah, you're really like unique in terms of a, a couple commonalities that we have, and I, I certainly look up to you because you just have this insane amount of experience that I would I, I wish I could just like kind of download. But part of that experience is being able and wanting to like legitimately wanting to. I always know when it's just like strictly business or when it's real. You want to help other people tell their stories, and you are absolutely that person's like it doesn't have to be on video or it doesn't have to be a podcast or it could be both. Like whatever it is, like that's that's what you want to do. And I think we could probably see why that is, why it is that you want to do that. Uh, everyone has a little bit of a different reason. But let's start here with the coming out from behind the scenes. I, I kind of double dipped, you know, when I started because I was figuring things out. I didn't have anyone who could do anything for me. But you've been behind the camera watching incredible guests, taking part in all these adventures. And then it's like, you know what, like, it's time to come out from behind the scenes and do my own thing. Like what prompted you to do that? And why did it take so long? It's so funny you ask that. Like I, I can remember back to when I first started and I was literally so camera shy that I couldn't test a mic. I, my face would turn bright red just going test one, two, three. Like I was so, I don't know why, but I was so self-conscious. I couldn't even do that. And I think it was years and years of coaching other people who were also kind of self-conscious that taught me that it's a skill. It's not like whether you're good on camera isn't about like the essence of who you are. It's about whether you practice and you got good on camera. And so I think in like separating that, like, am I a person of value? Am I interesting from like, have I learned this skill of being good at being on camera? and structuring my thoughts and how to talk. And if I haven't learned it, I could practice it. Learning that, I think, opened the door a little bit. But even knowing that, I was still really terrified. And I didn't even realize how terrified I was. But, you know, you said I love telling stories. And during the pandemic, all of a sudden, I didn't have access to other people. And I had this need to continue to, you know, put messages out there and I didn't have the material. And so I was forced to look internally. And the first thing I did when the, you know, pandemic sort of lockdown started was I started a challenge with myself to post a photo and a blog post every day. And I did that for a couple of months and I have two teenage kids. So after a couple of months, it was like enough already. Like, and <laughs> You know? <laughs> it always is like, oh, what a brilliant idea. I'm done with this shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mom, I do not need any more photos of me. Yeah. So, and and also there is this other kind of, you know, I, I get kind of esoteric, but there is this kind of idea that I want to live life and I don't want to live life because it looks good in a photo. And I felt like that pressure of having something to say in the blog was influencing how I was interacting with my family and my kids because I was thinking about like, oh, like, look like you're enjoying gardening, you know, to my son when like maybe he wasn't enjoying gardening. So I also felt like I needed to step back from that. So I, am I rambling? Because I still- No, that is, um, no, no, no. I, I was like, should I say something? Because I know exactly what that's like. When you have a goal and it's very specific in the manner in which you want to tell a story in any of those mediums that you just talked about, it's like the periphery creeps in a little bit into the idea. Like you, you're, you're now, you're not 
creating from a place of purity, so to speak. Now, you're not trying to fake it either, but you are trying to enhance it because you know what your eyes like to see and you probably, you especially know what other people like to see. So you're like, if I could create this moment or create this image or create this story by influencing some of what's happening today, and I know exactly how you feel and I'm glad you kind of recognize it. That's so, so, so hard to like stop. And, you know, the other thing about that is I think you can, you can harness that for good. So you can also say, you know what, I've been like sitting on my butt too much. I'm not getting outside. Maybe if I challenge myself to publicly post a photo or to do, you know, when I did the challenge for myself in, well, let me step back. So the next step was I decided to make a public challenge to myself to do three videos about myself and my kind of creative journey. And it was terrifying. And if I hadn't made the public challenge and I hadn't practiced making challenges publicly and sticking with them, I would not have done it. I absolutely would not have done it. That inner sensor would have been so loud that I would not have published them. You and I both know when you do a public challenge, no one's actually going to hold you accountable. No one is going to DM you and be like, you missed number three. Like, no one's going to do that. So like, tell me about the mindset. Like when you're like, okay, like this is for accountability. I'm putting out in public knowing no one's going to hold you accountable. So there's two, two parts to that. One is if you have the right friends, they will. And so some of the people I've met through Spartan, I mean, one of the, one of the challenges I did to, for myself was run every day, run a mile every day. I'm not super fit. I'm not a super athlete, but working for Spartan, I, partly I just felt for credibility. I need to have a certain level of fitness, right? So I, I had this challenge last January. I said, run a mile every day. And about two or three weeks into it, I had a, a business trip. This is back when we still did business trips. I had a business trip to New York and I had to leave before the sun came up and I was flying and I had meetings. And I posted something like, what would be the equivalent indoor exercise to running a mile? And one of my friends texted me and said, that would be cheating. Run a mile. You can figure it out. And I was like, I am so glad you said that to me because I did figure it out and I did run the mile. And then when I reached a milestone, I forget how many days, a certain number of days, and I said, you know, how should I celebrate? All my friends said, run two miles. <laughs> um. <laughs> so part of it is having the right, the right friends. But the other part of the mindset is something uh, my friend Brian Chantosh shared with me. I don't know if you know Tosh at all. He's a great leadership speaker, incredible military record that he's very humble about. Oh, but, yes, 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 yes. And he he was one of, uh, he hosted a series for us on Spartan Up for a while. And one of the things he talked about was this idea of keeping your word to yourself. And I love that. I've always been, you know, sort of overly concerned with keeping my word to others. But when you start to keep your word to yourself and you say, oh, I have to do this because I, I promised myself I would, that's really valuable too. And it can be life-changing. A hundred percent. So, Let's talk about when you were behind the scenes, actually. And and I hate to do this, but like you told a great story about when you went to, I believe it was the private island of a certain person. The way you put it, I could see it all happening. But uh, talk to me about how you helped grow this podcast. And obviously, it's on YouTube as well. So it's not it's not as simple as it seems because you guys are on location a lot. You have to bring things here and there. I mean, like, you know how many technical failures can happen at any given moment. But talk to me about growing a huge podcast. 
Yeah, let me jump back. So, so Joe DeSena, the founder and CEO of Spartan, he uh, he's a unique character, and and uh, you've probably heard he was interviewed on Rogan. There's a really good interview on Rich Roll that really digs into his story um, with him. But he's a unique character, and so we decided to start this podcast when he was publishing his first book, and. The first thing we did was we had had the Barbell Shrugged guys. They have a, a sort of a CrossFit-based podcast. We had had them. He had invited them to Vermont to interview him and promote his book. And they came up, and we loved their style. And by the way, somewhere out there, there's a behind-the-scenes video of that visit, which is hilarious. And and we dragged them up the mountain, and Joe's chasing one of the guys with a giant log. And <laughs> it's, 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 you know, absurd and great. So we love that style of multiple hosts. And so at first we played with various combinations of multiple hosts, and we probably recorded 20 episodes in that format, and none of them have been published. We just didn't really get our groove. And then we were still working under the idea that that was going to be the podcast, and Joe thought he had the opportunity to interview Richard Branson. And we were like, yes, this would be great. This would like be such a way to launch. And so he had an opportunity to go to Branson's private island. This was really a social visit. He and his wife were going. I, I, I'm friends with his wife, and I, I, I feel terrible when the moment when she found out I was tagging along. <laughs> <down there. laughs> she, she smiled and acted like she was thrilled to have me along, to her credit. So we, we fly there, and it's this crazy trip. And, you know, you go one plane to another plane to a tiny tiny private plane and you land on a little airport and you get in a boat and we're in the little motorboat. And at that point, we still had a giant, you know, we really hadn't figured out the routine. So we had a giant Pelican case with four mic stands and mics and all this equipment. And then they dropped me off on this other little island near to Branson's Island. And the whole island is like the size, there's one hotel with a dock, and that's the only building on the entire island. It's this tiny little island. And Joe hands me his credit card and says, like, you know, I'll, I'll see you in a little bit. If Branson agrees to the interview, we'll, we'll come get you, you know. So hold on. You brought all that gear, and it wasn't even, like, in stone. Like, it was a social visit. You guys were just, like, going to be prepared just in case. Because what if you don't get that opportunity again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I unload all the gear, and... You know, lo and behold, Joe's persuasive. The boat comes to pick me up. We go over. We spend a long time. I get all the equipment set up, prep the questions. Joe does a great interview. But literally, we're like, we're walking barefoot across Branson's Island, carrying the giant pelican case above our heads. I got lost later in the day. I'm like walking around the island on Branson's Island, lost, trying to find everybody. Because I went down to get some B-roll of him playing tennis. But honestly, it was one of the, you know, top five shoot adventures in, in my life. It was, it was a pretty fun gig. And we did get a great interview. And we ended up changing the format based on that and realizing that the best thing to do was have Joe do the interviews. He could travel. He could meet people where they were. And we could get a higher caliber of guest by just finding them, you know, kind of coincidentally, uh, which meant a lot more pressure technically. But then we would go back and we would record kind of an intro and lessons and recap with the co-hosts afterwards and then put all that together. So 
That's really interesting. I'm I'm still stuck on the episodes that you didn't publish because you said you didn't find your groove. But to any normal podcaster, I think you or I would say like, just do it. Like, just do it. Like, let the market tell you, like, see how it does. But what was it that you guys were just like, this is this is not it. Like, we can't even publish it because this isn't it. Because I'm sure it wasn't awful. It sounds like it was a great time. It was a great time. It was a great time. And and the sad part is there were some really good guests that we talked to. I don't know. I think you just know. I mean, he, here's the thing. I think today, the, the sort of the catch-22 of this internet age is that you are competing with the very best. You're competing with everyone. You're not just competing with your neighborhood. And so when you look at your content, you know, and you compare it to the best, you have to kind of be objective. You know, it's different if you are doing a podcast for yourself, as opposed to a commercial endeavor. Or in this case, for somebody who already had a semi-established profile, and we were trying to elevate it, it, the challenges are different. Lisa Orkin, who is a great podcaster and producer, has a great take on this. And she said, you know, if day one, you had a million listeners, you wouldn't have been ready. So don't don't worry too much about the size of your audience. So I think if you if you're just starting, it's okay to just start and you'll get better as your audience grows. All right, real quick, we're going to take a break just to let you know about our show up and shoot model here at Rich Cardona Media. We really understand the difficulty of making content, creating video content, and that's why our solution is like super ridiculous easy. We show up, we film 3 months worth of content. We give it to you in two weeks, fully edited, captioned, and branded as whatever it is that you want. We want to keep it simple. We know how hard it is. We know how much time you don't have. We know you don't want to learn to edit. We know you don't have the subjects to pick out. You have one call with us. We film. We deliver. That is it. If you are interested in that or you know any organizations or leaders who are really interested in getting that kind of content under their belt so they could have a good plan for the next quarter, then they need to reach out to us. Info at richcardonamedia.com. Now, let me reframe some of what has happened in, and kind of get back to what I mentioned at the beginning about storytelling. So this is video, you know, you have it on YouTube, you have all the touch points, right? Like you have clips here, you have Instagram, you have the audio. You guys had something magic clearly going on. You had someone who had access to really high caliber guests and, and you, you know, you had to know intuitively it was going to be a smash. But if you're mid, mid or starting and at what point do you start to consider like what where and how you should be telling your story, meaning like, does it need to be audio? Does it need to be visual? Does it need to be both? What platform should I go to? How would you tell someone to consider those options? This is so hard. And, you know, I hate to give you this answer, but there is no simple answer. It really is case by case. And what I like to do with, with new clients or even just people who I'm advising is look at, you know, what their assets are, you know, in terms of budget, in terms of team members, in terms of time. Look at what their goals are, you know, whether it's self-expression or whether it's elevating their brand, selling a course. Maybe there's just a message that's really important that's not getting out there and they, and they feel that they need to express that. So looking at the goals and looking at the, the resources and kind of putting the, the two together and then making those decisions about where somebody's going to be. I mean, the more places you are, generally speaking, 
the better because you want to be where people are. But you do need to balance that against your resources, whether that's team members or time or budget. So you've done that. You have your podcast, but all in between all of these different things, because of the nature of your work, you've made a film, you've worked with the governor and you're in Vermont. Uh, you've worked with the wedding industry in Vermont. You've done all these different things. Now, when you have to help people craft their message, craft their brand, craft their story, can you talk to aspiring storytellers, whether they're digital, audio, or video storytellers, whatever it is, how it is you approach the the varying personalities and the varying needs of all these people? Because that is a challenge, right? Like you can't just have the same type of person all the time. Although some people would say that's exactly what you want, but it's not like that up for everybody. So you mean, um, how do I deal with the different types of personalities that come to me for help? Yeah. So, I mean, like for the wedding industry, right? Like you had to be very specific. You were going to be dealing with a complete different, different personalities than the governor's office and the complete different uh, personalities in Smart Up. So how do you position yourself to just really ingest as much as you can to make sure you're giving them everything they need when it, it could just... There's a lot of variance there. Yeah. I apologize in advance because I, I get kind of abstract and big picture in these conversations. And I think, uh, here's a crazy idea. I think being a child of divorce ha- has helped me in the sense that you become able to kind of manage different attitudes and different opinions about the world and yet appreciate them both. And so I think... You know, uh, jumping back to the question you asked about why I I like telling stories, I think at its core, I, this sounds so ridiculous, I love humanity. Like, I love people, right? And I think... That's like the most non-ridiculous thing (laughs) you can possibly say, (laughs) by the way, Just, just, just letting you know. And like, I feel like all these externalities get in the way of connection. And so the reason truly that I love to tell stories is I love to find ways to build connection. And so if you can see inside of somebody's mind and you can identify with that, all of a sudden the boundaries kind of fade away. And so with that kind of outlook on the world, I think it makes it kind of easy, that that mix of love of humanity and a huge, tremendous curiosity um, make it really easy. It makes it's hard for me to answer. How do I do it? Because I love to do it. I and I'm going to challenge you. I'm so. I'm, this is perfect. Uh, <laughs> I love hearing. Like we are. I'm telling you. Like we're so aligned. Like I cannot wait till we like meet and like maybe collab on something. Yeah. So so here's what I would say. You love humanity. I love humanity. I love connecting. I you do too. I love helping people tell their stories. Like we're aligned there. But if there's anyone who's nodding their head up and down and saying, I'm the same way, tell me what happens when you are behind the scenes, you're conducting, you're helping people tell their stories, and you are just not having the connection that you desire because that inevitably makes the workload emotionally much harder. Like it's it's really easy, as a matter of fact, to start questioning yourself. So what do you do in those situations where you don't feel the connection that you know you kind of need? Yeah, I'm I'm going to refer, I mean, I've been doing this since before I knew her, but I'm going to refer to my friend, Dr. Laura Pence. And Laura has a new podcast. I think it's called something about curiosity. And she hosted uh, a big series for us for years, a couple of years on Spartan Up called Spartan Mind. She's a, she's a psychologist and she's a Spartan. And 
her, she started a business called Lifebox, and her whole thing is about mental resilience. And what mental resilience means in her context is being comfortable and able to tolerate the full breadth of emotions. So sadness, anger, happiness, all those things. And so one of the things that she's been really good at when we have been, we found ourselves at odds a few times in, in work. And the best thing to do is just call it. Just say what it is. Say, I feel like we're, we're not connecting. Something's in the way. I feel like you're, you know, you seem angry. Let's, let's, let's figure it out. Like, call it for what it is and have the difficult conversation and break it open. And that short-term pain will have long-term payoffs. She sounds brilliant. And, and I want to give you a real-life example. And obviously, everyone knows this podcast is not about me. It's about the guests. But I, I will tell you this. When I've done some of the content creation I have for some people and, and you know, video, and it's kind of remote, and well, it is remote uh, a lot of the times. Recently, I had a client, they'd answer the question. So we do research, we ask them a question, you know, so it's consistent with their industry and, and you know, so they could help, it helps them be a thought leader and create the right content. Well, every answer was answered probably within like 35 or 40 seconds. But all these video clips ended up being like a minute 15. And I was just kind of like, they were new. So I was like, not trying to be hard on them or anything. And then at some point, I was just like, look, you don't have to pad your answers. Like, you made the point. Like, you completely made the point. Like, it's okay. Like, that, if that's all it is, then that's all it is. But you don't need to try and reinforce that you're smart and then why you said what you said. Like, you could just say what you said and people will be inquisitive about that. So I completely agree with that. And and do you have any stories about any times you've had to kind of make that call and be like, hey, dude, this isn't working or Joe or whoever, like, this isn't happening right now? Well, first, I want to I want to say you're doing exactly the right thing, right? That's why they pay you. They don't just pay you to point the camera at them. They pay you because they want to to look better, sound better, you know, come across better. And it really is just a, a skill. And a lot of, you know, it's easy for us that are in the business to think that these things are obvious. But there's a lot of misconceptions about what it takes to to make good video. And some people think, I need to speak more. I need to use certain formal language. I need to, you know... Certain things they've seen, they think they have to to copy, and you're there to help them be set straight. And I can't even give you a story because, honestly, it's every every shoot, every day, all the time. I, I think one of the best compliments I ever got was from one of my hosts who said, I forget how he said it, so I think firm and gracious or something like that. But um, <laughs> you know, you you have to you have to call them on, you have to find that blend of being encouraging. I think it's like um, probably very similar to coaching in sports, right? You have to find that that blend of encouragement and information that can help them. And sometimes, sorry, I'm just going to, one, one another great little uh, tidbit. My brother used to be a competitive pistol shooter, indoor pistol shooting. And I always thought that the way you learned was by finding the things you did wrong and fixing them. And he told me that he had a coach tell him, that perfect shot you made, think about how you made it and try to emulate that. And so the other side of that is you can give as much information and coaching by pointing out what works as you can by pointing out what doesn't work. 
I, I agree. I think that kind of falls into the same mindset, which was a big shift for me. I was reading a book called Managing Oneself, uh, and it was essentially pointing out that you're better at working hard to get that B plus to an A than getting that F to a C, right? Like don't, don't, you know, and I'm not saying don't work on your weaknesses, but you're going to have, you're going to make much better and faster progress on the things that are kind of closer to the surface than the things hmm. that you feel like you need to be good at, which is really interesting. But I'm straight up looking at your, um, your LinkedIn profile. Cause I, I told her I did two minutes of research and this is part of that two minutes, but Talk to me about video and film. Like, why, why, and how did you fall in love with it the way you do? And, and what has given you the ability to have such longevity in an industry that has changed a lot since you've been in it? Listen, I have to be careful because I can just, like, I could just talk about myself the whole time. And I want to make sure that it's interesting for people. But talk about the industry changing. When I, my first editing job was on film. I worked on a, as an intern on a Nova show. It's called God, Darwin, and the Dinosaurs. And my job was to be an assistant editor. And just to give people an idea who think video is hard, I want to explain a little bit. Can I explain a little bit about the process? Oh my God, yes, please. Okay. <laughs> yes, I want people to know. So I was the third, there's the editor, the assistant editor, and I was the person below that, okay? And... You had a, a big machine called a Steenbeck, and it had these giant handles, and you would put the spools of film and the spool of audio, and you would play them through this machine. And if you wanted to, say you wanted to add 10 frames to an edit. So the editor would say, I want to add 10 frames here. And then we would go and we would look in a book, and we would find what reel of film. So say it was, you know, the shoot from August 28th in New York City on the sidewalk. Okay, find what roll of film that is. You go, you take the roll of film off the shelf, and you put it on these things called rewinds. And there's two film reels with manual handles. You put it on the rewinds, and you have to put the video and the video, the, the picture and the sound, because they're separate reels. You put them on the rewinds, and you crank through them, and you find the clip, and then you literally cut with a, with a, you have like a little machine that you cut out the 10 frames that you want to add. And you have to put fill in, you put blank film in so that it stays in sync with the audio portion. Then you wind them back onto the reels and you put them back in the box and you put them on the shelf and you give those 10 frames to the editor. And today you go plus 10. <laughs> <laughs> So the funny thing is, if you told people now, like, this is how you're going to have to do it, like, we'd have a lot less video and film people in the world. <laughs> well, we do. I mean, we, we did have a lot less. On the other side, I think one of the really, the upsides was that you needed a really big team. So you talk about that, like, if you're going to edit today, you can go plus 10. In those days... It would have taken years to edit a sequence without a team. And what that the benefit of that was that you could come in the bottom of the team and you could learn the ropes by watching the people above you. And there was a certain sort of etiquette and systems, too, for how things worked on a shoot, how equipment was packed and put away, how lights were set up. There was a certain language. There was a certain culture around it. And so you had this opportunity to be trained in that. And I do find that today you have a lot of people that are self-taught, which is great. 
And in fact, there are people that are, you know, 16 years old that are doing gorgeous work, work that's more, more beautiful and more powerful than mine. But when you put them in a commercial setting, sometimes they don't know all those other pieces about how to work in that environment that you get the benefit of, you know, kind of working your way up through the system. They, they don't have the benefit of that. I agree. It's a lot more OJT. Yeah, it, it's absolutely self-reliance on kind of like their talent and ability to figure things out rather than getting kind of the mentorship you would get in a, in a kind of, I guess, traditional environment. So I, I want to I, just, as you were saying that, I was just thinking, okay, so you, you've had to adopt to different cameras, different settings, different gear, different everything. Like everything's changed. Everything's changed since you even started Spartan Up, for example. Like there's just a lot of different things, uh, mechanisms or approaches that you could take. What would you say to someone who is interested in doing a podcast or a video podcast in terms of how to get the right vibe, like how to how to choose, like this is how I could get an audience's attention. And every 10 seconds, I'm going to cut to some B-roll so it's a little bit more enjoyable. Or we're going to have like a couple segments where uh, we switch up the interview so it's a little bit more exciting. Like anything along those lines that that you believe, and I know it's kind of case by case, but that that you think is just a way to keep an audience engaged, you know, as they're trying to brand their podcast or their show? You know, here's what it ultimately comes down to. I think you benefit if you have kind of a short attention span and you can tune in to yourself, like listen to your gut. And if you, if that little voice in your head is like, I'm bored, like listen to it. And the beauty of editing, I think it's really important that when you start out, if you're not editing your own stuff, you're at least listening to your stuff raw, unedited. And the minute you start to get bored, trust me, your audience is bored. So do something about it. And like, listen to that voice. And I think doing these challenges, like publishing stuff, like the 30-day challenge where I did a video every every day for 30 days, the, the additional value there is that they say like when you when you're writing a paper, if you print it, Um, You look at it with fresh eyes and you see your mistakes. Publishing those videos put me in the eyes of the audience. And I was able to objectively look at my own material and say, like, oh, this is boring. Oh, this is actually better than I thought. This is funny, whatever. So really just listen to yourself. And the beauty of editing is you have infinite chances to get it right. So play it again, play it again, play it again, play it again. And listen to your gut and say, like, this is boring. Cut it out. If it's boring, get rid of it. That could go another way, though. So what if that? What if you said you were terrified to be on camera? You would get red in the face. You, the, the, you know, grounded up was a little bit of a challenge as well. So it's like, okay, listening to your voice, I completely agree. But at the same time, that could be the very thing that makes you not do it altogether. How do you, you know, compensate for that? Yeah, and that's where I find giving yourself an external structure to make yourself make those breakthroughs. And I, I, I'm going to repeat this again. Doing a challenge like photograph every day, blog every day, post every day, video every day, and publish it. Um, and find friends and say it. You know, Tell them. like You can ask for, if you have good friends or colleagues, you can ask for the kind of feedback you need. And so it might be, hey, can you just like call me on it when I don't publish this? Sometimes you're going to say, can you just support me? I'm I'm nervous, just don't tell me anything bad, right? And then there's other times when you can say, like, I know everybody's going to tell me my show is great, right? Because they're my friends, or they want to get on my show, or whatever. 
can you do me a favor? If there was one thing you would change, what would it be? Tell me that. And that's a great way to get really honest feedback. But I think doing setting up an external structure where you have to produce the content, you will you you beat that internal sensor. Another great resource for beating that internal sensor is uh, a book called The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. And he talks about this idea of resistance. And he says, resistance will be there no matter what. If you accept that every morning you wake up and you imagine this force that's called resistance, and it's that force that, you know, you, you pick up the blank page and you put it back down because you don't want to write. And if you know it's always going to be there and you anticipate it and you prepare to do battle with it, Never be surprised that it's there. Always expect it and show up anyway. That that worked for him. And, and I think that's a great way to think about it. I absolutely love that. I have an example. And that was the other night, my one-year-old woke up in the middle of the night crying pretty hard. She never wakes up. She sleeps like 12, 12 and a half hours. She's like a dream. It's ridiculous. So she woke up and I knew obviously it was middle of the night. I was like, okay, now we got to get a bottle. Now we got to do this. Now we got to do this. Oh, her diaper, you know, leaked and whatever. So like this just turned into like this long ordeal. And I get up at 4.01 every day. And I said to myself at that moment, like, this sucks. I was like, I have to still get up at 4.01. Like it was the easiest, easiest excuse to be like, I'll just get up at six. No one is going to say anything. I have the perfect excuse. And I got up, did my thing, and I kept my routine going. And that is like that resistance, right? Like that, that is that you could, it's so tangible. You could feel it that you start to kind of feel guilty when you don't push against it. If you get in the good habit of doing that on a regular basis, Marion, I want to wrap up in, in a certain fun fashion here. And that is imagine I was in a clubhouse room and imagine it was a podcasting clubhouse room. I'm so glad you brought this up. I was going to bring this up. <laughs> and the moderators, you know, are giving advice. And some of that advice is, Rich, you should charge Marion for publishing your podcast, maybe. Or you could just say, Marion, I'm going to publish a podcast on Apple for 90 days. If you want an extension on that, I'll charge you this much. I'll send you an invoice. If you want it on Spotify and Stitcher and everywhere else, then I'll charge you for that too. What would your reaction be if that is how I approached you at the end of this podcast? First of all, Rich, I have to say, this is this is where you won me over, right? So we we met through mutual friends and we got along great because we, you know, we do the same work and and we have lots of commonalities. And I was in that room with you, and there was a lot of BS being peddled. And, you know, whether it was just bad advice or immoral, or maybe even illegal advice. And, and I have a morbid curiosity. I just wanted to sit in that room and hear what they were pitching because I wanted to understand it. And you showed up in that room and you texted me and said, are you in this room? And the fact that you heard it and you initiated the conversation to say, this is not right, really elevated you in my book. I said, all right, this guy's okay. This guy's this guy is legit. It it actually really made me uh, appreciate you. So um, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. So obviously, no, it's bad advice. There is this new idea being peddled called guest facing monetization. And look, there's nothing wrong with doing a podcast because you want to meet people, and some of those people may become clients. But uh, manipulative practices are not good. If somebody's paying to be on your show, 
then it's an ad and you need to divulge that, right? So with Spartan Up, we have had a few sponsors. We're very hesitant. We have had sponsors who have, they pay for mid-rolls and as part of the package, they want to have an interview. We, I would say probably five or six of our 500 interviews have been with sponsors but we have always said we will only interview the sponsor if it's a good interview. So the sponsor, you know, is involved. But if the, say, the CEO of a company that sponsors us wants to be interviewed, if they're not a great interview, maybe they sponsor an athlete that we could talk to. So as long as we're serving our audience, there's nothing wrong with making money in your podcast. I think just being transparent and always keeping your audience in mind. So when we have sponsors and mid-rolls, we say this episode is sponsored by whoever, and we talk about the product saying that they are a sponsor. So the reason I asked that was because you mentioned at the very beginning, there's a fine line between persuasion and manipulation. And I know that has to do with the Grounded Content podcast, but that was a complete example of that, kind of that room. But why is that at top of mind for you to project out there and, and use that content as, or your content and podcast as a way to dispel some of the myths between uh, their relationship? You know, there was this idea that you should talk to your kids about drugs before they ever get exposed to drugs so that they have already thought about what that conversation would be like. So you talk about them, talk about it in elementary school, not in high school when they're already, you know, seeing it around them. And so my thinking is, there are these inherent dangers, and, I, and I've seen it, right? I've seen someone who is a lovely person who's very naive to marketing, right, and has a lovely product, and they start to see when they start to use some of these techniques, and, and these techniques that are very common in the marketing world, like scarcity, or fear of missing out, or other, you know, other kind of tactics, right? And they work really well. And, or, you know, very specific targeting on Facebook. None of these tactics on their own are bad. But you really need to think about where your lines are early. Because what I've seen is some of the most sort of positive, lovely people get a taste of these techniques and they haven't thought through beforehand and they will push them to the extremes. And they'll push them to a point that I feel pushes the boundaries of what's moral and what's legal. And honestly, I'm more interested in what's moral than what's legal. That personally, it's more interesting to me and more important to me. But I think it's important that there are a million podcasts with a conversation about how to sell, how to build your audience, how to market, advertise, content creation, advertising, all those things. And I think that it's important that what's right be a part of the conversation. Yes. I completely agree. Marion, where can people find you to learn more about you? And where, where do you want them to, what content do you want them to consume of yours, actually? So yeah, leave us with that, please. So first of all, Rich, this was, this was really great. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for giving me an opportunity to hone my skills coming out from behind the, out, of, out from the shadows, right? I am Mad Motion everywhere. So madmotion.com, Mad Motion on Twitter, Mad Motion on Instagram, Mad Motion on Clubhouse. If you find my website, you can kind of find everything from there. If you want to find out more about these conversations about ethics and tactics and philosophy around, you know, we get kind of deep, but we also get practical. 
about marketing and advertising and content, I do have a podcast called Grounded Content, and I'd love it if you listen. Awesome. Well, thank you so, so much. I'm sure we will see each other in the very near future, virtually on Clubhouse or physically one day. Definitely. And I want to get you on Grounded Content. So that's another reason people should go subscribe because sooner or later, we'll, you'll hear Rich on there. <laughs> All right. And I will bring it just like you did, I promise you. So thank you and we'll see you next time. All right, everyone, thank you so much. Hopefully you enjoyed Marion's tales and her insight. I mean, you can literally tell that this is someone who has been around a lot of people, advise a lot of people, and continues to learn, learn, learn. So here's one thing I wanted to mention. We, we were ranked. This podcast was ranked in Great Britain in the top 50. Uh, and the same week, it actually was in the top 100 in the United States, which means your downloads, your reviews, your ratings are helping so much. Please help this get out to others in your circle and encourage them to do the same. And you never know, this thing could just be way up there exceeding all of our expectations together. Thank you so much for your support. We'll see you next time.